it's interesting. I think Hollywood is probably very similar to, I would imagine, the the tech world and and often the world of finance and a lot of these these industries where at the um, in the higher levels of power, largely largely populated by by men, um, and and it's been a long I think journey for women to try uh, to reach parity, and we're certainly not there in any way, shape, or form. There are certain there are different sectors of Hollywood that have done a better job of of achieving parity, um, and there's some that are terrible. I mean, for example, look at the number of, of women directors out there. Welcome to Array Podcast, the platform to discover hacks and skills you need at different stages of building your business. I'm your host, Shruti Gandhi, founder and managing partner of Array Ventures. Array Ventures invests in founders focused on solving problems, leveraging big data, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. Visit us on array.vc. Bly Faust is an Academy Award-winning producer of the movie Spotlight. She has also co-produced The Queen Latifah Show and started an interior design firm by Bly. With her co-founder Nicole Rocklin, Bly started a one-of-a-kind, woman-led production company, Rocklin Faust. Her company focuses on telling transformative, entertaining true stories that endanger a collective social dialogue, inspire change, and celebrate innovation. In this episode, we discuss her journey as she transitioned from practicing law into founding a successful production company, how she came about producing and spearheading the creation of an Academy Award-winning movie, Spotlight. She also shares her thoughts on lack of diversity and culture of harassment within the entertainment industry. Listen in to hear a story of a founder creating a company in Hollywood, which is very different than our typical tech podcast. We thought this unique founding story was definitely worth sharing. To start, I would love to hear your journey. Um, you were a lawyer, entertainment lawyer, and how did you become what you are today? And uh, tell us about your journey. So I was a lawyer, but I, wouldn't, I wasn't officially an entertainment lawyer because I wasn't doing transactional entertainment work, but I was a litigator, and I did a lot of work that was entertainment-related. So we had, you know, co- working on copyright claims, breach of contract, that kind of stuff that had entertainment um, subjects at the heart of them. So I had gone to law school at UCLA. I took a year off, though, between undergrad and law school, and I came to L.A., and I wanted to – I really didn't know what I wanted to do, frankly, but I thought I'd give it a go and, and try my hand at acting. Uh, and so I spent a year – doing that. And in the course of doing that, I actually did a lot of independent, I did a few independent films and commercials and that kind of stuff. But I ended up meeting some of the students at the USC Peter Stark producing program. And that's one of the probably the the best producing graduate program in the United States. And they would all as part of their class, they would need to do these silent eight millimeter films. And I acted in a ton of them. I ended up acting in a bunch of them. And they became my really good, my my peer group, my, my good friends. And I went off to law school. I loved law school. I did not, and then I practiced, and I did not like being a lawyer at all. And I got to see what my friends from USC were doing through those years, and a lot of them had gone to work for production companies and producers and agents and directors, and I thought what they were doing looked like a lot more fun and a lot more interesting than what I was doing. So when I decided I did not want to continue my career as a lawyer, 
I, par- I, I wanted to go produce. And I think at the time, if you would have asked me, what does a producer do? I wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. I, I just like the idea of it and the idea of going out there and being on the business side of making movies uh, and being able to also, though, hopefully combine the business with the creative. So I partnered up with a friend of mine and was helping her. She was an actress producer and I started helping her on some of her projects. And then we very amicably realized that we, the kinds of movies that we were wanted to pursue were different. And I went out on my own. And then shortly after going out on my own, met my current now current partner, Nicole Rockland, and we've been partners for over 10 years. And um, we had a deal for a couple of years at Alcon Entertainment, uh, which is based at Warner Brothers. They're a financier based at Warner Brothers with an output deal there. So that's sort of the beginning of, of, of how things started. That's so much. Thank you. But I feel like I have to uncover. It's like, I'm going to ask you a very silly question. I'm not sure if it's like asking what a founder is, but what is a producer? What did you discover? Yeah. So I like to liken it really to being like the general manager of a sports team or the CEO of a company. You really are the nuts and bolts of the entire project from beginning to end. I mean, you're putting it together. You're finding the material. You're developing it. You are bringing on the director, the writer, uh, eventually the talent once your script is ready to go. You're the one finding the, the money for the movie. You're shepherding it through production, through post-production, the marketing, and then the release of the film. So you really are, you're in charge. You're running it. And each project is like starting up its own new company. Every single time it's different, and it's an, it's an entirely new endeavor. But, so that's exciting, but then there are multiple producers, and you know when I'm seeing through all these credits, there's different titles of different types of producers, even in spotlight, um there were multiple firms. so then how does that work out? Yeah, so it used to be it's funny if you look at old movies like movies you know whatever twenty thirty forty you know fifty years ago you that you'd often see movies with where there would be one producer uh, or you know, or maybe two. And that was it. And nowadays, it's it's really it's very very rare to see a movie where there is only one producer. I don't know that that's almost unheard of. Sometimes you see two, but invariably, if you look at like the award season, if you look at the Academy Awards, the number of producers listed for Best Picture on any given project, there's usually a handful. And that's just a product of there are so the producers though. Well, I should back up. So producers are really the ones who you should not be getting a producer credit unless you truly have lent a significant part to the, you've had a significant contribution in the overall genesis and growth and sort of completion of the movie, right? So you really should have been a part of it from beginning to end. And the, the producers guild, there, there became, there was a time and it still goes on where a lot of people were taking these producer credits without actually doing the work. And so the Producers Guild stepped in and you now, and they said there is a producer's official PGA producer's mark now that are accorded to producers on films. And you have to go through a vetting process with the Producers Guild to get this mark. So if you are watching a movie now, you might see produced by, comma, uh, and then PGA, right, after their name. And that just shows that they've been verified and vetted by the Producers Guild as having really truly done the work of a producer. So they, and then there's executive producers and associate producers, co-producers. It's always really hard to know with those kinds of credits who really, why these people got this, this credit. 
you can kind of know usually executive producer credits are reserved for people who had something to do with the financing, but that's not always the case. Sometimes you'll see screenwriters get that credit uh, or directors who might have contributed a significant contribution to the movie beyond just screenwriting or beyond directing, and they, they'll get one. It's really hard to know, and even harder to know with associate producer or co-producer credit. Those, those are very, very difficult to know what, you know what warranted that. It's just, you wouldn't know unless you were probably part of the production of the movie. So who's the person that, um, or who's the team that uh, finds a script and, and kickstarts everything? And why, how do others get into the process? How, how do other producers uh, get into the process? Yeah. So sometimes they, it'll be different, different producers. Will, it'll be a producer may have found or a producing team may have found the material. I and mean, that's how it happened. I'll tell you how it happened with Spotlight, and then I can tell you there's different scenarios. But, for example, Nicole and I, we found the underlying story of the Spotlight story, and we went out and secured the rights to that story. So we got the life rights to Marty Baron, Robbie Robinson, and the rest of the team. And we took that, the, that life right package and eventually partnered up with Michael Sugar and Steve Golan. And Michael and Steve, we had initially gone to Michael as a manager to approach some of his clients to possibly write the movie. And Michael came back to us and said, I love this. Uh, so much that I would love to produce it with you guys and, and and do it with Steve, who is the founding partner of Anonymous Content and Michael's partner. And we said, great. They, Michael and Steve, had an incredibly deep bench of talent relationships. And Steve, as a, an incredibly prolific producer and has produced so many movies over the years, that we thought they would be great partners for this. So that's how that partnership started. And then it was very much a collaborative process and a collaborative, uh, you know, collaborative you know, team effort throughout the process of who did what. But, it, you know, we all, everybody was, was remained committed, involved from beginning to end, Annapurna, those kinds of companies. And then we're also, we're very much in television, but that's a whole other conversation too, because film and television are somewhat different. I mean, there's been a huge excess in television by a lot of the major film players um, and we certainly have we have a, a big part of our business is focused on television but they're they are different conversations so we you know I think sometimes if if we would have a film that we thought was amazing and we thought we could get it put together com through complete independent financing where we could have an incredible part of the upside that would be great but that's very hard to do just based on the kinds of budgets that were that, that our projects engender it's very hard to go out there and, and, and do them truly independently outside of an existing, um, you, you know, one of the, 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 pre, the premium independent Hollywood production units, just, just by virtue of the budgets that we're dealing with. Is this part of the Hollywood now being more open to going to other independent uh, tech avenues like Netflix and um, Apple and so forth, or, or, or is not something you touch even in, in your world or the kinds of movies you're making? Oh, yeah. No, the streamers are really interesting to us. And they're absolutely legitimate players now, and, and they deal with top talent all the time. It's interesting. The part of the conversation that still goes on, though, from the traditional feature film side is that it, Amazon, for example, they release their movies theatrically and before they put them out on, on their own platform. Netflix has historically and as a, and currently 
they will release their movies. They do not feel like they need a, a theatrical release before they release it on their platform. And that's something that's still part of, you know, I would say it's a point of discussion, contention, whatever, if you will, between film by filmmakers and producers as to whether that's an okay model for them or they feel that that is satisfactory and that they want to go down that road. So that's, that's really, you know, I would say the one thing that, that Netflix is a little bit, I don't know if controversial is the right word, but certainly is, is, a, is a point of discussion that people have, and it's, it's something people have to weigh if they, before they go down the, like the Netflix route. But no, I mean, the Netflix and Amazon are, they're definitely legitimate real players in the space and they do high-end content with, with, with sizable budgets. But so is it changing? Like, so is, are they the financiers now and are compensation conversations, like, you know, all that changing in that world or, or it's just the way the movie's launched? And so for, for you, um, is one better over the other, the new world or the old world and the players? Um, and would you, do, you, do you have a pros and cons or who you pick to, or choose to work with? You know, it just depends. So it is, it is a little bit apples. It's it's sort of in the deal making side. It's a little. It's different, right? So historically, these you know the player Amazon and Netflix were doing deals where they would be doing more. And certainly, Netflix, I think, more than Amazon, is they would be doing buyouts. So they would buy you out the talent, whether it's producers, directors, up front. So they would. Possibly, you know, pay you based on what you can negotiate, whatever you can negotiate. But generally, would pay you more on the upfront, so they would for your producing your fee. But they would be considered a buyout of any back end or equity that you would have in the project. So you would be obviously it's you have less risk because you take a larger sum upfront, but you get no participation in the movie after it's done. And that can be good or bad, right? It's just if your movie was a hit, an enormous hit at the box office, if you were going to do it elsewhere, and you had, you knew you could get yourself a really good back end equity definition. Well, you know what's obviously that's very speculative, right? You don't know if your movie's going to do well, and and even if it does well, sometimes you do run into the proverbial Hollywood accounting, and so are you going to get paid uh, any more than you got for your upfront fee? So it's a question that you have to you have to weigh. I think a lot of people, though, I would say from our perspective, and I think probably a lot of talent perspective, you kind of, it's more about the creative process of who you think will creatively handle your movie appropriately rather than the pure bottom line, and if you, for, the, for the most part. And by that I mean you have to look at who makes and releases the kind of movie that you're doing and are they going to put the appropriate marketing dollars to work and, and handle it, um, the, the release, in the way that you want. I think a lot of filmmakers go into it with, with that in mind. Now, that being said, for example, there are movies like, like Bright, which Netflix just did, which was an enormous budget, had an enormous budget, and I'm sure everybody was incredibly well paid on that, and that may have been, a, for example, like that kind of project, that may have been a purely a financial decision that nobody else, I don't, I don't know the details of that, it may, but it may have been a situation where no studio, traditional studio, was willing to give the filmmakers the budget 
to, uh, to to go do what they wanted to do, and Netflix was, and so everybody it was a purely it was a financial decision. I, I I'm just not sure. So it, it, I guess it kind of depends, and I shouldn't speak you know in blanket terms for everybody, but I know for us, a lot of it is driven by who will appropriately handle your movie um, more than anything. So, Obviously, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So would you consider it that at all for your future projects? Consider what for Netflix. Oh, I, I'm, we're happy. I mean, Netflix. We would be happy to work with Netflix, and it would just have to be. It's on a project by project basis. Right. So. Okay. Yeah, but 100 percent, 100 percent. So, what's your day to day job like? What What do you do? You wake up looking at uh, awesome scripts of amazing people and their true stories, and um, you know, what What do you do? And then, and then, where do you? Where is that aha moment that I'm gonna do this? Yeah. We read, so our days are filled with reading. So reading articles, you know, scripts, um, news reports. Being a lawyer kind of helps. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure it helps. <laughs> and yeah, 100%. Like, you know, you don't have to be a lawyer to do this. Just skim, get through dense documents quickly as a lawyer, <laughs> yeah, for, to be sure. So, and we spend a lot of time dealing with the legal side. So we're, we're on the phone a lot of the day whether it's dealing, you know, speaking to, to lawyers, to agents. We spend a lot of time reaching out to talk to agents about writers, directors for projects, submitting projects, pitching them. We have pitches that we go out and do quite frequently where we're actually, you know, pitching buyers with our writer, director, whatever it may be. We have script note meetings. With if we have projects that we've that we're in in development with with certain financiers, it really kind of runs the gamut. There's no set day, but it certainly is a lot of phone time, uh, a lot of a lot of in person time, and we in terms of like finding projects. So we a lot of our stuff comes from we do get projects from agents and managers, which are scripts and they're that sort of traditional Hollywood thing. But a lot of stuff we find comes from our just sources that we've cultivated over the years, a lot of them being journalists, some of them being other producers, younger producers who, um, who, who bring us stuff wanting to partner with us. We have a first look, a producer who has a deal with us, who is an incredible scout, and she's always out there looking for material and books, articles, all of that. She brings us a lot of stuff. And we also speak to book agents too. Book agents give us give us stuff. So it really and sometimes family members. I mean, family and friends tip us off to some pretty great stuff. So we always joke that my brother is one of these days we're going to hire him away from his day job because he's so good at finding material. So it really runs the gamut. <laughs> yeah. So how did you pick one? How did you come up with Spotlight? We had been working with an author, a guy named David Misner who wrote a novel called Hartsburg USA, completely unrelated to Spotlight, and were shopping it around Hollywood, trying to find a director, a financier, that kind of stuff, and had taken it to a director, a very well-known director, who we really wanted to work with, who said, this is excellent, I love this book, but it's too close to something else I've done, so what else does this guy have? And we went back to David and said, what else do you got? And he said, I don't have another novel, but I do. I did this case study for the Columbia Graduate School of Journalism, and it is about the Boston Globe and what they had done. So we uh, we took a look at his case study, which was again, just a traditional uh, business graduate school 
case study where it was just a you know a recitation of, of the facts of what had happened, and we that was to be presented to students and for for discussion and 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 to create a case around, and we were floored. So he put us in touch with the journalists themselves directly, and we, from there that's how it launched. And we got their life rights and and started piecing it together from there. But when did you know through all the scripts you were looking? This script was the script you wanted to work on, and and how long did the project take? By the way, I didn't ask. Is it a year, two years? How long? How, oh gosh, how does seven years? Yeah. Seven years from inception to this to release. So it wasn't actually a script. It was just it was raw. It was when I, we do with this uh, with a lot of projects, which it's it's time consuming. But uh, if you believe in it, it's it's also the benefit of you can craft it the way that you see it. So Spotlight was when we came across the story at first, there was no article, no book, no nothing. So we got life rights to the reporters and we were dealing with the raw story. And so we then, once we partnered with Josh, first Tom McCarthy and then Josh, they spent an incredibly long time, um, rightfully so, putting the pieces together of the story themselves. So as we joked, um, and then it later, you know, sort of, it was part of the mantra as we were going through our marketing for the movie, but they really investigated the investigation themselves. So they had to act the part as if they were the authors going out there putting together the story to write a book, right? So that's what they, they had to do it them, themselves. And, um, and so that, it just took a long time. And in seven years from us, it took us a while to find Tom and Josh. We had um, uh, gone on, we'd had discussions and, and gone down the road to a certain extent with, with other people until they they came together to do the project, and then it was a while for them to do to research it, to write it. Uh, we went through there's we had initially set the project up with DreamWorks. DreamWorks decided they didn't want to make it, so we uh, they had brought participant on to co-finance, and then participant remained involved and brought Open Road on as our distributor, and then worked with Open Road and participant to cast the movie, and then shot it and all of that. So it's a very long long road to get these things done. Um, they're lost, <laughs> but, yeah. but okay, is it truly seven years um, core working on this project or were you working on other things in parallel and then at one point you said, this is it and all my time goes to this? Or, or tell me about that day to day of uh, and truly how long does it take for you to say, I'm going to do this full time? Yeah, so we were working at the time completely full time, well, full time, we have to have a, t a, you have a bunch as a producer, you need to have a whole slate of projects that you're working on. So uh, right now, uh, we have about somewhere around 15 plus projects that we are working on officially in various different stages. And you just have to, by virtue of you don't know when the pieces are going to come together on a particular project to go. So you need to have a lot of things in the hopper. Um, and so Spotlight was one of a number of things that we were working on. We knew right away that it was special and important. There were emails Nicole and I have back and forth to each other from when we first came across it, telling each other that this is our generation's all the president's men and we have to do this. And we, so we knew we, we needed to remain committed. But I'll be honest, like during we, Nicole and I had sold and set up a number of projects over the years at various different studios, mostly film, some television. And we were working with really great top talent, but the the stuff that we had just wasn't getting made. And I, in the in that time period, moved to the Bay Area, and and then had my sorry, had my first son, and really 
decided I, at, at, at you know some point in there that was I was going to treat the Hollywood my my producing stuff more as a part time thing where I could focus on projects that I really cared about and I wasn't it wasn't going to be a, a full time endeavor for me it had just become really frustrating and 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 felt and I felt like it wasn't something that I wanted to put all my eggs in that basket. And I actually started up uh, an interior design business in the meantime. Now, the irony, of course, the minute I made that decision is when Spotlight came together. And as soon as Spotlight came together, then we were off and running, and it uh, it was our our main focus during pre-production, production, and then the release of the movie. So it took up a lot of a lot of attention and time then. And since that time... Nicole and I, you know, I'm I am back full time doing the uh, producing, and and I do not run my design business any longer. It was fun. It was really fun while it lasted, but this is what we want to be doing, and, and we're in a different place now. So it's um, but you hear this, you hear these stories a lot. I mean, I've I've spoken to a, a lot of screenwriters, a lot of producers, and it was like one foot out, and then that thing happened for them and, and sort of changed everything. Did you realize this was a big thing, and then that you were going to win an Oscar for this? <laughs> uh, well, we knew it was a bit, no Oscars. You can never like that's. <laughs> I mean, you can never predict that, right? Like we didn't even know up to the day. I mean, that sitting in the theater, if we were going to you know, win the Oscars, <laughs> I know. But but we knew that we had something. Um, we had our test, our official, first official test screening in LA. I think around. So the movie was released in 2015, November 2015, and the test screening was. I think, June or something, 2015 in Pasadena, and the scores from the screening were off the chart, and um, they were really excellent. And, and that was when I think we had our first hint that, huh, okay, we might have something. And um, and then from there, but no, we had no idea that we were gonna, you know. You must have had some Oscars. other feeling when the when the movie made uh, like what 42 million dollars in the United States, um, but that first weekend was pretty awesome. So what? Like, you must have had some feeling of excitement at some point where I was like, I had no idea. Or did you just say, like, this is this is what I deserve? What was that? Well, I, I would say one of the big moments of, so there's a test screening. And then we went to Venice. So we premiered the film at the Venice Film Festival, and which, you know, at the time, it was going to either be the most genius move or the dumbest thing we could have done because, obviously, <laughs> we, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I need I say more. So we're heading into Italy with with Spotlight. So we premiered, and it was in, to a obviously a packed audience, a packed um, uh, theater, and it was a combination of journalists, international journalists from all over the world, and and then also just regular you know film goers. And we had a standing ovation at the end of the movie that lasted all the way through the end credits until the until the you know the the, the credits truly ended and the music the music came down. So that was another moment where feeling, and I mean, and that was an emotional moment too, just for a number of reasons, not even thinking about, okay, well, where are we going to go with this for awards or any of that future, but just feeling incredibly gratified that all those, you know, Nicole and I seven years prior had found this story in its raw form. And then here we were and people, it was moving people clearly in, in an, in an enormous way. That was huge. And then the other, I would say, huge moment which was not awards related was when we the the national conference of bishops uh, after we released our movie put out a press release basically saying this is an important film 
it's it's accurate and archdiocese throughout the United States should be showing it and talking to their parishioners about it. It was that was wow stunning. Yeah, that was stunning. So so this movie addresses power dynamics of of you know of that of that world, but we're now facing that similar um you know kind of uh not that this is not we're uncovering that power dynamics in our own professions in tech and Hollywood now um it's been Hollywood has uh kind of made it super big with the Harvey Weinstein um news last year um you know I want to hear how the women in Hollywood um are seeing you know are talking about this post Harvey era and and what are your experiences through that? So I'm lucky. I have not been harassed uh, in Hollywood. I have not had to experience it myself. It's interesting. I think Hollywood is probably very similar to, I would imagine, the the tech world and, and often the world of finance and a lot of these these industries where at the um, in the higher levels of power largely largely populated by by men um and and it's been a long i think journey for women to try uh, to reach parity and we're certainly not there in any way shape or form there are certain there are different sectors of hollywood that have done a better job of of achieving parity um and there's some that are terrible i mean for example look at the number of of women directors out there right and, and especially right and, and especially female directors on major studio films. I think, I don't know the, I'm pretty sure the number last year was, you know what, I shouldn't be quoted, but I think it's eight of the top 100 films last year um, um, were were directed by women. So, you know, there are definitely sectors like that where change absolutely needs to happen. And it's starting to, there's women like Patty Jenkins who, Achieved such great success with Wonder Woman, um, and is now going to be directing the the sequel to that. So, we need to be seeing more of that. You know, one of the things that's hard historically too. I mean, if you think about it from like a producer standpoint, with women producing movies, a lot the men historically have been directors, and so the directors are really the most oftentimes the most important part of your project. They're the ones. It's their vision. They're the spine. They're the backbone of your project, and so the the men have been uh, friends with you know their 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 peer group is 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 as other men right for the most part, and so they would be bringing on or working with or collaborating with a lot of other men to to produce these movies, and that's just you know that there there is no judgment in that it's just it just is. No, it's just that uh, that's. Yeah. Very similar to tech. It's what I call bros supporting bros, right? I mean, it's it's not it's not even intentional. It's like we're playing basketball, and you know, who else are you going to talk to? And it's just suddenly, you know, people are just sharing things within just their own world, and they're not thinking about well, you know, I I didn't think about sharing this with this other friend of mine who's not doing this and working hard to you know in the tech world to make it happen and I should probably share this deal with this person. So I mean it's it's uh I don't know if how Hollywood has uh seen 
the question was more on, I don't know what Hollywood changes have happened. And I've seen some news around, um, you know, the Grey's Anatomy actress, Ellen Pompeo and Reese Witherspoon and all kind of getting, uh, you know, more per episodes and such. But I don't know if that's like a more famous people getting paid well more or is it, uh, you know, just a coincidence. But in the tech world, I don't think I've seen that uh shift yet it's it's more of an awareness right now but i don't think the actions from you know investors lps vcs have uh reflected that yet on on making it a conscious decision to uh you know fund more women or other people in you know color minorities but that's that's why i wanted to understand like if that if hollywood has seen any implicit movement um to to make this a more of a, a movement uh, that we that tech can follow yeah you know i think there's been talk right in 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 terms of of actual concrete things happening in a huge way yet that I, i'm not aware of that other than i think people are starting to chip away at it right but yes it is certainly a big big part of the conversation you know there's also these new rules that have been implemented and I'm, I don't know the full extent of, of them and I'm not fully up to speed on the legality of it, but it's something that we've been talking about, for example, with our attorney and our agents is the idea in general that I, I know this doesn't just apply to Hollywood, it applies to a number of industries that y you can't ask for pro um, previous employment uh, compensation, right? Which is a big, so it's the question becomes in Hollywood too, in terms of uh, quotes, right? How much does that come into play? in terms of asking about previous quotes, which there's a big disparity, probably in quotes, certainly on right. the actor's front. I'm not really sure on the producer front, you know, the breakdown between female and male, I must be, I must say. I've never heard it. I've, I have not heard, which doesn't mean it's not there. I have not heard people on the producing side, and I, I have not heard from our agents. I have not heard from other female producers I, that, that there is a disparity in producing quotes based on if you're a male or a female. I think that maybe that is less that comes into play. Certainly, though, on the directing front and then on the actress front. And that has been broken open clearly more, most recently with the whole Mark Wahlberg, Michelle Williams thing and all of that. But it is definitely a conversation about, and all the, you know, certainly our agents, our agency, you know, our lawyer, everybody is very aware of the discrepancy and now is making a concerted effort to make sure that there is parity and there is this discussion, too, about the idea of how much can you actually even rely on previous quotes anymore and how much can you even be asked to provide those those previous quotes. Then everyone's kind of trying to figure that out. So certainly, it's all, everyone's paying a lot of lip service to it. And I guess the question just becomes, does it actually come into practice going forward? Yeah, so have you and Nicole faced anything? Um, you're a rare, you know, female producing team. Very, very rare in Hollywood. Have you, yeah. um, you know, faced any stories that you're willing to share um, that, you know, that you came out of stronger um, or walked out of there saying, I'm never going to do this again? Or did you have moments where you kind of just said, why am I doing this? Well, I certainly, I mean, here, this is small. No one has, it's, it's interesting because no one's overtly done anything to us that was superbly supremely offensive from like a from a from a gender perspective 
certainly there's there's subtle things over the years, which is it drives us crazy when there's some guys, usually older men, they'll be like, who will call us girls, right? Like, oh, we've got the girls on the phone. It's like, well, no, <laughs> you have, you know, what if you want to, you know, you've got the ladies or however you want, but we're not girls, right? So that's something that comes up once in a while. So it's subtle, right? It's that subtle stuff that seeps in. You know, the frustration I think that we've had, and and there's maybe there's there's certainly factors that play into this, and our ability to raise um, capital, and we would love to be able to do that to a greater extent. We've been able to raise a little bit, um, but we would like to be able to do it in a bigger way, and that's been that has not been easy. And I know that also too that is that is difficult uh, for women-driven companies in the tech sector as well, and the frustration of that idea of what you said, the, the, the bro network of, of projects, directors, being friends with other male producers and those guys getting probably looks at projects way earlier before we would do, even if, 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 you know, even if we were to see it at all. So I think that's the frustrating thing. What's the next script? I mean, what should we be excited about? And, and do you think that get, you know, securing finance and, and such is, you know, is going to be easy for an Oscar-winning, amazing uh, team of producers now? So we have a number of projects that are, quote-unquote, set up, you know, now that are with, with financiers that we're actively in the process development process on. Some are farther along than others. Some are at script form. Some are earlier than that. And I, we, I think we, are, we would very much hope that we would be in production by the end of the year on one of these. But it's hard to know. It's, you just never know until you're actually there. But um, we're, we, we do have some that are ready, and it's just a matter of getting it across the finish line. So, and we have the, some a lot that are much earlier. So it really runs the gamut. Uh, and some of our um, are dealing with great feats of investigative journalism. Some are political thrillers. Some are inspirational sports stories. It really runs the gamut. But, um, yeah, hope to have more, more to come soon. Awesome. Well, I'm I'm excited to see what that leads to. Thank you for your time, and I'm excited to have you on the podcast. How does uh, the audience follow you? Uh, we have you can follow my me. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, um, and we have uh, Rockland Faust is as well. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Amazing. Um, and you can follow me, audience, on uh, Twitter at, at @shruti. Thank you, folks. That's it for now. Bye.